0: Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Vantage Point. Today is December 23rd, 2020. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and we have back on the show Kenny Polcari. Kenny is a managing partner at Case Capital Advisors and the chief market strategist at Slate Stone Wealth. Thanks for being here, Kenny.
1: Arush, it's always a pleasure. I've been looking forward to this since our last uh, since our last uh, uh, time together.
0: Absolutely.
1: So on today's podcast,
0: we are going to continue uh, hearing stories from Kenny. You know, I asked him a simple question. Kenny, tell me a little bit about yourself. And like, what was it, three, four hours later, we only got up to 87. So we're going to continue it. <laughs> and we so started really-
1: in 1980. It would be one thing yeah. if we started in 61 when I was born. <laughs> but we only started 1980. <laughs> right.
0: So this is really part two of, of an ever-going series of Kenny Pulcari, And uh, so we'll, we'll start off with 90, 1987. Well, we ended with 1987 in the previous episode. We will start uh, after that. Uh, but let's go into the current market first. The market is in a confirmed uptrend. Do we have five distribution days on the S&P 500, two on the NASDAQ? Kenny, what are your thoughts on this market?
1: Uh, well, uh- Right now, for the next two or three weeks, I think we're churning. I think it's kind of fully priced at the moment. I think there's a roadblock, a road, well, potholes, a roadblock, a speed bump, whatever you want to call it, uh, in early January with the Georgia Senate race, because I think that could, that could flip the whole conversation. The market will reprice after that fact. But I think up until then, we could see the market actually kind of churning here and you know move lower. I think we're at the highs the closing highs for the year. I know we tested, you know, last week we were 36, 36, 20, 37, 20. Uh, but I think mm-hmm. around right in here where we closed, I think 3,700 is once again, providing a little bit of resistance. And I think there's that lingering concern about what's really gonna happen in January.
0: So uh, now let, let me ask you this, cause you, you've been th- doing this for a number of decades now. One, uh, one of the greatest markets that you've ever seen uh, in 2020. Uh, you know, is is this the best uh, one of these strongest markets, or, or were there a few others that were even stronger that you remember?
1: Well, listen, it, it certainly was a strong market in 2020. Uh, based on considering everything that's happened, it really is a remarkable year the way it ended up. But, you know, it's also a remarkable year because of all the other stuff that's going on, right? The yeah. fiscal stimulus, the monetary stimulus, uh, the low rates, the negative rates, the promise of keeping rates at zero for another three years um, yeah. is all adding. I, I would say to you, you know, one of the other greatest bull markets was the birth, and we start, we did talk about this the last year right? 1982. The birth right. of that bull market was when rates were 21%. And they were coming down, and that was, you know, a twenty-year, twenty-five-year bull market, really, from nineteen eighty-two until two thousand. Well, two thousand, yeah, yeah, two thousand, when the dot-com bubble, uh, you know, when we had the bubble and then the burst. Right. Uh, but we can talk about that because that's about where we are now, right? After we leave nineteen eighty-seven, we yep. come into. Of the early nineties and the early nineties, I'll, I'll let you go. Did you want to ask you? No, no,
0: go. I think that that's uh, a, that, <laughs> that was a great segue. Okay. I kind
1: of... <laughs> we came into the early nineties. Now here's what people have to understand too about the early nineties was it was, uh, we were, we were smack in the middle of this technology boom, mm-hmm. because the world was changing rapidly. Technology was advancing across a range of industries, but one of them specifically that made so much sense to me and us uh, and financial services was technology was also beginning to really cut its way into financial services, number one. Number two, we had Y2K coming up. And for the listeners who were not around during Y2K, Y2K is simply like that year 2000, and around that, if you remember, all the concern about what was going to happen when the world went from 1231.99 to 1100 and that whole conversation about you know the world was going to come to a standstill and and the planes were going to fall out of the sky and gps is going to fail no water no electricity Ah! right it was that's what it was going to be
0: right and
1: uh and so the 90s was all about um upgrading and new technology and new formatting and, 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 and people around the world, this wasn't an American event. It was a global event. And that anyone around the world that had a computer, you know, that had Microsoft software, uh, and, and all the others, they all had to either upgrade or figure out how to fix it, how, how that computer was going to take it through the turn of the century, because that was the concern, right? So in the nineties, oh my God, the market was just crazy, but tech names were out of control. If you were a tech investor in the 90s, it was, it was like Candyland every day. I mean, it was, it, was, it was a beautiful time in the market,
0: right? Well, 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 let's talk about like the early 90s, right? So, well, first, well, you mentioned Microsoft. So Microsoft went public 87, maybe late 87, early 88, right. around right. that time. Right. Uh, and then it went on its next great run in the early 90s, which was after the first Iraq war right? So you right. had the, the first Iraq war, the market comes in, right. uh, and then all those tech stocks, right when the market goes back into a confirmed uptrend, uh, and, and you know, Bill O'Neill and, and all the portfolio managers talk about the nine, 1991 uh, story about how all these great tech stocks set up and they get stuck off. Talk yeah. about like 1991, the first Iraq war, some of your memories uh, of that at the exchange.
1: Well, so, you know, it was, it was really interesting. Um, Because, you know, the exchange was such a focus um, in, in nineties. I mean, it was, it was when you thought of capitalism in this country, you always thought of the New York Stock Exchange. When you thought about, you know, IPOs, all that, you always thought about the New York Stock Exchange. And what was interesting is a lot of the tech names, all traded on Nasdaq. They didn't do. There, there wasn't a lot of tech on the New York Stock. I mean, there is, but Nasdaq became and is today. Uh, or they'd like to tell you, you know, the tech capital, right? All these tech mm-hmm. names go to Nasdaq. Although I will recently, the New York Stock Exchange is making its own way there. But one way or the other, in the '90s, um, uh, it wasn't so much, right? And so yep. a lot that was tra- happening in tech was happening really on the Nasdaq stocks that I did okay. not trade during that, that time yet. Yep. Yet. you know, during that, during that first war, what it was like to actually be on the floor, the level of angst, the level of concern, not only in the markets, but really for the country. And what did this mean? Because this was really, I mean, listen, I was, I was a a child during Vietnam. I mean, I was seven or eight years old. So I have no real recollection of Vietnam other than what I've read and studied and seen. But the Iraq war and that whole Gulf war turning into the Iraq war, that was really, that was really the war that, that all of a sudden we were at war now it wasn't a world war it wasn't right but it wasn't like it wasn't as apparently as ugly or nasty as Vietnam was. I mean, Vietnam, right. the, the stories are horrendous, right? right. Um, but it was still but a there, war. But
0: there, was a, but there was a definite concern, I remember. Co- and there was How an I,
1: absolute concern. There was right. an absolute concern yeah. out of the Middle East, out of some of those yeah. countries in the Middle East, was it going to be yeah. retaliation? And so there was this high level of alert, you know? And, and you could feel it every day when you came uh, downtown in New York City, kind of walk around. There was just a sense of uh, heaviness, not on the market, but in the air. Right. There was this, there was a sense here we were uh, going to war and, you know, weapons of mass destruction. And you start to think of what does that really mean? And, you know, what would happen if something happened here in the United States, New York City with eight million people in it, the subway system, the trains. The, the, I mean, the, uh, the the bridges and the tunnels. I mean, you know, right. when you think about the devastation and the damage and uh, they could do to the country just by any one big city like New York City. You know, right. it was, uh, it was it was a time of certainly angst and anxiety for a lot of people, and being on the floor, you know, was uh, was also a, a, a little bit at times a little bit anxious because if you really wanted to hurt America, we were sitting there waving our arms, going "Hello, look at us!" Right, and yeah, that yeah. was that was actually the fear in 1987. That yes. after that, right? Remember, Ted right. said that. Right. After they hit the two buildings, they immediately evacuated us because they thought we were next. And, yep. uh, and so there was always that kind of fear. But for the most part, um, the war went on and the country was very, you know, concerned. The markets continued to churn. Um yep. And we clearly made it through, but I don't, it wasn't like, it wasn't like they didn't change anything at the exchange in terms of, um, in terms of how you got in or or how you got out. Certainly there were controls around who could come on the floor, who couldn't, that kind of thing. Um, And after uh, the crash of 87, Mm -hmm. um, it it became, you know, the New York Stock Exchange became um, synonymous with, with cat, well, it was always synonymous with capitalism. But suddenly there was this, there was this interest in in it, right? Remember, Dick yeah. Rasso then started. There was talk about how he brought the media to the floor of the New York Stock Exchange to almost pull the veil back, right, so that everybody That's could, so that everybody could see it, and yeah. that he brought the New York Stock Exchange and investing and the capital markets right into everybody's everybody's household. They could turn on the TV, they could be in the thick of the trading, and it was very exciting. That didn't happen. You know, that was. A conversation that started in the early 90s that actually didn't happen until 1997 i think it was late 97 with Marie barterobo we can get to that we can get to that in a minute but during you know the gulf war um in the early 90s there was that there was that kind of uh mixed message right because on the one hand the market was doing very well after the crash of 87 technology was starting to change the world but yet there was this lingering concern about you know the country was at war Mm -hmm. um anyway um, and,
0: and and then and then obviously it was, it was a surprise to, to a lot how quickly it, it ended. Markets right. take off. The markets uh,
1: took off. The markets were very. Listen, the markets are very supportive. Um, in terms of you know being at war and and you know every day there'd be another headline. And as we made headway and as we won, you know the market would celebrate those wins, right? Yes. Um, yes. and so yes, the market took off. And that, as as soon as it ended, there was a sense of relief. Uh, and then the market continued to soar. But look, a lot of that was also driven around advances in technology. Now, technology was helping the defense industry. It was helping, you know, the financial industry. It was helping yep. the airline industry. It was ha- it was technology was ha- helping everybody, right? It was yes. changing the face of the world. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that people have to start to understand is, remember, we were still operating the largest capital markets out of the three major market centers, Asia, Europe, and the U.S., Mm-hmm. Is that we, the biggest capital markets out of those three, were still operating in a single location with fifty-five hundred people, pen to paper, eighths of a dollar, screaming and yelling at each Incredible. other, when the rest of the world had already gone electronic? Right? Yeah. Europe yeah. had done it in the late '80s, uh, and actually, when they did, they called theirs the Big Bang too. Their their floor disappeared overnight. Wow! When when wow. when Europe went to. Um, uh, when the, when, well, when the UK, started in the UK, right? When, um, when they went electronic, uh, the flows over, they disappeared overnight and everything, all trading moved upstairs and it all started trading electronically. And we were still trading pen to paper, yeah. right? And so yeah. we had to prepare. And I think I hit on this last week. We, we had to prepare for the turn of the century Yes. but there was this other huge problem at the turn of the century this thing called y2k and the yep. computer systems and all that stuff and the new york stock Exchange was certainly right in the thick of that because we started we computers were delivering order flow to the exchange computers were you know printing the printing the trades to the tape the the, the, the computer was delivering uh, uh, executed messages back and forth and so therefore there was this massive push um to have to participate in this technology upgrade that was happening, but there was also this massive push to renovate the markets, right? The markets go through a major, major renovation about every 25 or 30 years because the world changes, technology changes, things change, which then necessitates an upgrade, right? right. Um, and so now it was time. But the problem was, we needed to uh, rewrite the country. The, the 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 industry needed to rewrite every every rule set that had been written in the thirty three and thirty four acts, the SEC 34 acts that that dictated how trading would get done, how you represented the order, the 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 the, the, uh, the increment of trading, all those things, all wow. those rule sets, wow. uh, and how and how the markets interacted. They all had to be rewritten. For what would be a technology-based environment, where computers were going to start to do a lot of the work that the humans did, right? Right. And so um, you couldn't. You couldn't. You couldn't just do that overnight. They had to rewrite the rule sets and they had to put the rule sets out to the industry. The industry, you know, had three months to comment. Then they had to go back and then the SEC and everyone else had three months to go through the notes and then, and then figure it all out and then put more comments out. And so not only was it going back and forth but it was the advances in technology that were happening so quickly that every time you thought you had it down right the technology changed and you had to go back and start to rewrite it. And so. Behind the scenes, as we were trading every day, face-to-face pen to paper, people were working behind the scenes to, to rewrite the rule set, to try to create an automated system that would work in that rule set so that mm-hmm. everybody could participate. Um, and so that the goal was we were going to convert post the turn of the century. So we were going to trade pen to paper right up through the turn of the century. And there was kind of a method to that madness, because look, if it in fact, if the world fell apart the way that it was predicted to, Mm -hmm. we were actually still trading pen to paper. So if the computers failed on January 2nd, 2000, guess what? The U.S. capital markets could still function because we had a phone, we had a pen and paper, we had people that could trade back and forth. Europe and Asia wouldn't have been able to do that because their systems were all automated. That's
0: right. Really so if anyone yeah. was going
1: to get hosed, it was going to be Europe and Asia if the technology failed.
0: Right. right. In
1: fact, we went through the turn of the century, the technology did not fail. Yeah. And so that's when the push came on the United States. Okay, guys, now it's time to yeah. push. Now it's time to convert, you know, the, the quote unquote antiquated system and step into the 21st century because now we're actually in the 21st century and so now we have to actually step into it with the u.s capital markets and make it um you know as advanced and as efficient as the other markets but but and so So kenny
0: before we get into the 21st century let's 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 go over to 1997 yeah talk a little bit about that uh and and you you left the, the exchange for a little bit right i did and- but
1: i didn't leave until 2000 and uh i left in 2006 okay uh but but
0: in 1997 that there, there was worldcom mci there was there a there russian was ruble crisis there, there, was, right. a, there was
1: a bunch of there was a bunch of stuff that was just happening there was the uh there was the collapse of um long-term capital which yes. was which, which was another shoot. thing right and when yes. you think about the long-term capital event if i remember correctly i think it was a I think it was a $3 billion event, right? That was the, that was the potential impact. It was like this three and $3 billion, you know, when you talk about 1997 was like the way they talk about, you know, 5 trillion today. Oh, it's only 5 trillion. 3 billion though <laughs> was this massive number, right? Right. 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 That was, and so it was that it was the Russian ruble crisis. It was the MCI Worldcom deal it was all these kind of, uh, uh, outside events that all happened it was like the perfect storm they were all happening at the same time and it caused anxiety not only in the markets it caused anxiety amongst investors and the long term capital thing actually shook the markets uh, at the time to its core because it was it was you know its web was its web it had all the big investment banks uh um uh tied in right, right they had deals right. with all the big investment banks and who's lending who capital and who's lending who money and you know how how's this okay ca- but yet it, it was like the web that just went out And so when long-term capital started to fail or when it failed there right. was this there was this uh ripple effect that that just that just spun out through the industry and if you remember correctly you know they they got they got all the you know the seven the seven families together, Merrill, JP Morgan, Bear Stearns, Libra, uh, because they all had to rescue. Right. They, exactly. they all those guys yep. had to rescue because partly because they had all jumped in, they were ready to lend money as best they could, because everyone wanted to do business with long-term capital, everybody wanted to be the, the, the banker, everybody, wa- and so it was yep. great until it wasn't. <laughs> yes. So then, and so the industry said, Okay, guys, step up to the fucking plate now and right. fix this. Yep. And so if you remember this is where it comes back to bite Dick fold from Lehman brothers in the ass because he didn't want to, everybody else stepped up. Oh, that's really interesting. And that's why when the world fell apart in 2007 and Lehman brothers was going down the drain,
0: no one uh, came to help
1: him. They didn't come to
0: help him. That's wow. That that's, that is fascinating.
1: You know, but that came back, that was 10 years later. It bit Dick fold in the ass and really was the demise of Lehman brothers. Because if you remember correctly, um, Hank Paulson, who was Treasury Secretary at the time, mm-hmm. basically said, not helping him. Because when when the and, industry- And Hank
0: Paulson was at, at
1: Goldman at that time. It was at Goldman. Right. When the industry needed all the investment banks to come to the rescue right. and try to solve this long-term capital problem that they actually helped create, Yes, he was the only one that refused to do it. All the other That's ones amazing. did it. And so, you know, there was there was a lot of back and forth at the time about that, about about Dick Fold and uh, Lima Brothers. And but, you know, but, you know, it was like one of those things they just put it back here in the closet and they left it there. And then 10 years later, it exposed its ugly head. But that's we can get to that part of the story.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. So this is a perfect time to take a break. Um, the market is in an uptrend Uh, stock continue to act well and maybe we have that Santa Claus rally again Uh, let's take a quick break but when we return we're going to talk more about this we'll we've gone to 1997 now so we're making some good progress we're going to get into the 2000s we have got 2008 and we'll learn more from Kenny Polcari we'll be back Stock market have you nervous? With the hope for a COVID vaccine and a shifting political landscape, it's virtually impossible to guess what will happen. But with Vantage Point, you don't have to. Visit www.freestockcoaching.com and find out how Vantage Point's AI technology can forecast stock market trends up to three days in advance with incredible accuracy. Vantage Point's patented technology analyzes huge quantities of global data in seconds. Stop guessing. Check out www.freestockcoaching.com and experience Vantage Point for free. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Kenny Polcari is our guest on Investing with IBD, sponsored by Vantage Point. Okay, Kenny, let's continue with the story. And so that, that was a really fascinating uh, point that you made about Dick Fold there. Uh, let's, go, let's go a little bit ahead after long-term capital, the markets recovered. Now the markets get going again. And, and you know, it, was only, it was a few years after uh, the rational exuberance comment too. Well, let's go into 1999. Tell us some of your uh, stories from that, your recollections at that point.
1: That, oh my God. 1999, remember, was the beginning of the dot-com bubble, which had ended in flames in, you know, 2000 and 2001, uh, what you call the dot-com bubble and burst, but, you know, the internet now had suddenly really taken off and come into the market, people were able to, people, people on the street, Taxi drivers—they could now people could access the markets through their computer on this yeah. thing called the internet, right? Yes. Um, and so it was fascinating the way the world really changed at that point, right? I mean, listen, it, it and it started to change earlier, but it was in nineteen, you know, the late nineties where all of a sudden it became easier for people to access the financial markets, access their accounts at fidelity or or whatever, right? Um, and. Uh, this whole phenomenon of the dot-com, right, made made huge headway, not only in the investing space, but in the markets, very much kind of like, you know, it, it feels very on some levels it feels uh as, as elevated as it does today with some of these unicorns that come to the market. The difference today between then and today is actually these companies that do come to the market, even though they quote unquote, say they're not earning any money, they are real businesses. They do earn money, but they have huge growth expenses. So therefore quote unquote, they don't earn money. Right. But in 1999, when pets.com or rubmyback.com or whatever came to the market, they, they, they were just ideas. They didn't even, they had no revenues, yeah. right?
0: All but they had to the, do was put a dot .com. All the they, they had to do was put a right?
1: dot .com at the end of it. And all of a sudden it was like one of these unicorn names where people were just crazed. And I yeah. think the most amazing part, again, again these were all New York, uh, NASDAQ names because they, none of these stocks qualified to be listed at New York, number That's one. And number two, because they were too small, they had no earnings, they had they didn't meet any of the requirements yeah. to come be listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So NASDAQ opened the door and said, oh, come here, we're great, we'll have you, right? Okay, yeah. great, wonderful. Uh, and so they all went to NASDAQ, which was fine. So they, they didn't actually happen on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. So people should understand that. And at mm-hmm. the time, in 1999, I couldn't trade stocks on Nasdaq from the New York Stock Exchange, I couldn't even trade Nasdaq stocks because I was only right, I was lived, worked on the New York Stock Exchange. We only traded stocks in New York Stock Exchange, so that's all I could do. If wow. so, if I had a client that wanted to buy Microsoft, he had to call a broker upstairs. Couldn't call anyone on the floor. He had to call a broker who was upstairs to execute that order. Wow. Anyway. Wow. Um, but all these stocks would come to the market i would i'd never forget i used to scratch my head and go what am i missing because very much like today where an investment bank whether it be goldman or morgan or whoever it was would bring one of these dot-com names to the market pets.com toys.com whatever it was yeah the same way now think about just because this happened just recently think about what happened two weeks ago with doordash and airbnb now, they both came to the market. Goldman and Morgan Stanley brought those deals. They were the lead underwriters in, in, in those deals. They came to the market. Here's a perfect example. Goldman, the Goldman investment bankers who have a responsibility to go out and build a book. They have the responsibility to go out and sell the deal. They have a responsibility to go out and, and um access interest from institutional investors. They're not talking about mom and pop. They're talking right. about the Fidelity Growth Fund or the Van or, or the American Funds growth fund or XYZ, whatever it is, right? All these institutional asset managers. It is their job to go out there not only and sell the deal, but then to help build the book. What's your interest? You're the portfolio manager at the Felty Growth Fund. What's your interest? Okay, if we, if we, okay, a lot depends on price, right? You're okay. Well, what are you pricing at? I see the deal. What's the price? Okay, if the price is $50, I'll buy 100,000 shares. If the price is $40, I'll buy a million shares. If the price is $30, I'll buy 2 million. But if the price is 60, you only want 500,000 shares, right? And so yeah. you build the book. That's and so the, the yep. job of the investment banker is to go around and assess the interest and build the book. Mm-hmm. So Airbnb is the perfect example. And I laughed about it. I wrote about it in my note. I put it even on Twitter the next day. They tell uh, they tell management at Airbnb on Wednesday night at six o'clock, we've made this assessment. We've come up with it. Airbnb is worth $68 a share. Now, I understand you leave a little bit on the table so everybody looks good, but a little bit might be 10%. So maybe you leave six bucks on the table. Okay. So you get that on IPO day, you get a little bit of excitement. The stock pops a little bit. Nobody's embarrassed. Everybody's kind of right. Yep. And so they tell the management at six o'clock on Wednesday night, it's worth six eight dollars a share. Here are all the buyers. Here we allocated all the money. And Fidelity said they're going to be a buyer in the aftermarket. And American Cap, uh, American Cap, because you know these guys say I want five million shares. They get allocated two million. So you assume they've got a three. They've got three million shares worth of interest behind. Right. But right. that's at sixty dollars yeah right or 68 dollars yeah so what happens is they and they the other thing that they do and that they've done and they did the same thing in 1999 with the dot coms is that you know it would be the chatter the talk i mean they talk it up they touch the next greatest thing Blah, 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 blah right mm-hmm. uh, the difference is today people use airbnb so they know what that product is people use doordash they know what the product is in 1999 pets.com what the hell did i do with pets.com with toys.com I, I, uh, there's not an experience there right? right yet because it had this dot-com name to it and because these big investment bankers went out and sold the story as uh, the wall street journal and everyone ran p- stories about it It was the greatest thing in the world and there was all of a sudden you could go to this thing called the internet you could actually look it up and you could read about it right yep in real time yes and so uh and so it was nuts and so they would cut. you know pets.com would price. morgan stanley says that things were twelve dollars Okay, it's worth $12. On Wednesday night, they say it's worth $12. On Thursday, when it goes to trade at the the NASDAQ stock market, it opens at $150. And it trades up to $300. It trades back to $200, up to $300 again. and, And then it closes at $180. And everyone goes, oh, my God, how great was that? You're sitting there scratching your head going, what just happened? Right. And right. the same thing happened with toys.com and the same thing happened with, you know, notebook.com and, and whatever you want, anything that had a dot com next to it, it was yeah. absolutely crazy. It was so crazy that you'd take a cab in New York city and the cab driver would be telling you how he made so much money trading XYZ.com. Okay, dude, if you made so much money trading XYZ.com, what are you driving a friggin' taxi? With? Right. And, right. And,
0: and there is a, there, there is a famous saying there, when your your taxi cab driver telling you stock tips, right. sell everything, that, right,
1: and, that, and 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 that's the top of the market. And so what ended up happening was uh, that had, that went on for a good seven or eight months, you know, into two thousand, mm-hmm. and then and then that whole world started to collapse because those companies were those companies had no they had no business, they had no revenues, they had nothing, right?
0: Well, they were they were they were uh, measuring it on eyeballs at that Co- point, right? Correct,
1: correct. And so all of a sudden it started to, you know, in, in, in 2000, it started to come under some pressure and people mm-hmm. started pulling their pants down and saying, what, what is really going on here? Yeah. Let me, let me take a real hard look at this. And suddenly people realized that these, these stocks weren't really worth anything. And so they all started to come undone. But then what ended up happening was they all traded on NASDAQ. They were considered technology names, blah, blah, blah. Technology, quote, unquote, was coming under pressure. And you know what happened. NASDAQ lost, you know, 50 or 55% of its value. I mean, right. it went from- Maybe 50, more than that, yeah. I, it was actually more than that. Yeah. That's right. It was more than I that. I once like 70% or something.
0: I, so yeah. Because
1: I think the high in- well, Early two thousand, was like fifty five hundred, like and that, the lows yeah. was seventeen like and change. Yeah, and the low yeah. was seventeen and change in uh, in in mid two thousand one, I believe. I can look back on the chart and tell you, but it well, it didn't happen overnight. It happened mm-hmm. over like a year. Right. But it just if you look at the chart on the Nasdaq, it just goes like this, right? I think you're right. It lost about seventy seven. Well,
0: I mean, and it was a it was a two and a half year bear market too. Correct. Right. Correct.
1: Right. It started in, it started kind of in late 99. It went through 2000 into 2001. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and then finally, I think it was, I think it was mid, it was before nine 11 for sure that it kind of found a base and it kind of churned there for a little bit. The markets was still, you know, we were still in a bear market that, that listen, the Dow sold off too, but not nearly. I think the no, Dow No, because
0: was off. The, yeah, as you mentioned before, all those stocks were in the, the NASDAQ and, you know, actually what I can do is I'll, I'll pull it up here on the screen.
1: Yeah. And they and weren't, just, they weren't the New chart. York stock exchange stocks, but the country was in a recession. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, so the market came under pressure as a result of the country being in, in recession and, you know, uh, company earnings, all that stuff. Typically what you would, what you would envision, which one is that? The Nasdaq. Oh, there's a NASDAQ, there's
0: a monthly chart from 5,100, yeah. 5,132 down to 1108.
1: Okay. 1108. So, and what, yeah, how I mean, much it, time it, is that?
0: And that was two and a half years. So it right. it topped in March of 2000, and yeah. bottom in 2002, uh, uh, October 2002. So yeah, two and a half oh, years. October
1: 2000. Okay, so it was after that. Yeah. Even it went through 9/11 and stuff. Continued yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Because like it it was. We were already in the correction at that point before 9/11, yeah. and then it accelerated down downwards. Yeah. Uh, we had a little bit of a rally, I think, shortly after that. Yeah, so here's 9-11 around at this point. Yeah. Then we took out that. And honestly, I think once we took out the lows after 2001, yeah. that's when everyone kind of gave up.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. And 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 names in NASDAQ, and if you were a NASDAQ trader, those time, those days were dark for you, right? It was tough. Yes. It was, yes. a, as much as it was tough on the New York, it was different because the New York, we were trading, you know, we were trading "Quote unquote blue chips." You got American Telephone and IBM and Bank of America and J.P. Morgan. I mean, yeah. those weren't Pets.com
0: those yes. days, right? Yeah, um, no. The, the the New York Composite handled it a lot better because it didn't go up nearly as much. So right,
1: yeah. right. And so, what, what was the the high was the high was what on the New York uh,
0: uh, on the New York Composite it was seventy two, oh two. Right. And it went down to a low of 4407.
1: 44. Can you put the Dow up there? Because that's like yeah, a, uh, at the Dow. that's like a, almost a 50% move. That's like a 42% move, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Here, here, the Here's the Dow 11,750 uh, 11, down to 7197. Right. So, that, yep. so
1: that's like the Dow was like a 35% move. Right. But the, but the NASDAQ was a 70 to double that. Yeah. The NASDAQ was yeah. a 70% yeah. move, right? Yeah. Um, and so that took us through uh well that took us into 2001 the yep. country was still kind of in a in a in a um recession right. and then and then we know what happened i mean the world right. in the summer of um uh in the summer of uh 2001 you know the markets the global markets were kind of churning and and uh uh they were having they were struggling to have a time and then uh, September 11th was the events that really kind of changed the world at that moment.
0: Right. Um, yeah. And, and, and uh, obviously that was a, a significant moment in everyone's lives here. Uh, <clears throat> what, what we want to do is instead of focusing on that in this episode, what we'll, we'll have Kenny come back around uh, September 11th next year to go, because Kenny has just an amazing, amazing story about his experience there that I really want to give it its own kind of due uh, and, and really have kind of a special episode on that. Cause it, it, his story was incredible. He, he gave, he gave it for our master's program. What was it, Kenny? Like five, six years ago, you yeah. came and spoke to the, to the attendees there and yeah. it, it was just stunning. You know, I, I, it was just so uh, incredible. So, so yeah, I told Kenny, let's, let's hope we'll, we'll separate that story. Cause it's, it's so phenomenal and, and just so impactful that it to have its own episode. So we'll we'll save it for, for next year on that.
1: So we'll save it. But what what you have to understand, what the people should understand, is as a result of that event. Yes. Yes. Um, um, not only did the, the world change, the, not right. only did the world change, but but the country suddenly looked at each other and said. What are we doing up yeah. to this point? We had used technology to become efficient, right? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden I could get this computer to do your job and his job and her job. So I come into work, and I'd say, okay, you're out, you're out, you're out. You put the computer in its place. And it was efficiency, right? Yes. And I was let la- people get laid off. I was, you know, saving money. I was more efficient, all that stuff. And that was happening not only in industries around the country, but it was certainly happening in the financial services sector, right? And right. so then after 9-11 happened, what it revealed was the vulnerability of the country uh, because here we were the the largest capital market in the world out of the three major market centers. And we were operating our capital markets in a single location at 11 wall street in a physical building with 5,500 of the same people every single day. And that was the vulnerability because, because when that event happened and the exchange shut down, There was no backup plan to say, okay, well, we need to start trading stocks tomorrow. Yes, this event happened. Trust me, I'm not, I lived it. So I'm not being cavalier in this at all, but you'll understand why now, because remember the market was closed for six days. Mm -hmm. And so it started to create panic in the country. Because just think about this one. If you were somebody who worked your whole life and you know, you put money away, put money away, put money away, and you had a two or three or four million dollar portfolio in a retirement account, an investment account, uh it, it, you know, invested in US stocks. Oh, and on, on, on Monday, you know, it's worth three million dollars, and then this event happens on Tuesday, and then the market doesn't open Tuesday, does it open Wednesday, does it open Thursday, and you keep calling your broker going, hello, knock, knock, knock. I want to sell my stocks because. I'm nervous now, and you know what happens wow. when people get nervous. They yep. want to they want cash in the bank. They don't want to own a piece of paper that says I own Coca-Cola or I own GE. They don't want that. Right. And so when the when 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 the when the investors would call up their brokers and say, I want to sell my stock, the answer was, I can't because the exchange isn't open. And so people get nervous. And then yep. and then take that and multiply it around the world investors in Asia, the same way we take money and I go invest in Asia, I go invest in Europe. Asian investors come to America, they, they invest in US stocks. European investors come to America, they trade in US stocks. And so when those investors call their broker in Asia and Singapore and Australia and Europe, in China, I wanna sell my US stocks and they're told they can't sell them. Wow. Well, and man. who starts to get nervous? The whole world starts to get nervous, right? Yep. And so the country knew immediately that we needed we needed to get the exchange up as difficult as it was and trust me it was difficult and we can get into that in that other in the in the next show that you want to dedicate definitely, definitely what it what it what it revealed was the vulnerability and so then the focus on technology became holy shit we need to use technology to create security and stability first and then efficiency We had it all wrong. We were using it to create efficiency. No one cared about security and stability because because this event had never happened. And then after the event happened, everyone went, holy shit. And so, so it immediately flipped technology on its head. So now you started to say, okay, how do we use technology to create security and stability? And how you do that? Is what we have today. So today we have 11 exchanges that exist in this country. The New York Stock Exchange is the only physical exchange. The rest of them are like NASDAQ, they are virtual. They trade in the cloud. The, the servers that run them are located all over the country. They're not located in downtown Manhattan because if they were, you blow up downtown Manhattan, you bring the place to its again. Yes. And so now they're located in Colorado, Massachusetts, and Florida, and California. They'd have to blow up the whole country. To bring the system to its knees, and if they blow up the whole country, who gives a shit with Bank America's trading? We got a much bigger problem, right? And so, and so, if they blow up the New York Stock Exchange, is it a tragedy? Of course, it's a tragedy. And I would like to think that one that for that one day, trading in this country would would halt, but the next day, trading in this company in this country would come back, which is what you could not do in 9/11. Right. because there was no way to do it to, today. If they blow up the exchange tomorrow, all the electronic exchanges that trade in the cloud that didn't get blown up are perfectly capable. And look, you know how I can prove that that's true? Cause look what happened during COVID in, in, in the spring when the New York stock exchange closed down for eight weeks, there was not a single person at the New York stock exchange yet the markets functioned. If you didn't know it, you would never have known it. Yeah. Because stocks traded, they didn't fall out of bed. They didn't, they, they weren't erratic. They weren't, right? Stocks traded yep. Yep. without the New York Stock Exchange. And so. Um,
0: well, COVID a, a great example of a number of your stories here is uh, first stocks traded. No one had to be there physically to do it. And also stocks halted a number of times in the day when there was a lot of panic setting in correct to so the lessons learned from 87 really came back to help at the right the
1: lessons the the the, remember i told you those like the circuit breakers were born out of the event of 1987 um and so they have they have been used they haven't been used a lot they haven't used a lot but when they have been used it's been to kind of slow a panic for whatever reason, or in fact, a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the, like the flash crash of 87, that was a mistake, but the circuit breakers kicked in. Well, what happened with the circuit breakers kicked in and we could talk about the because we're going to get to that because that's actually a very interesting part of the story about how the circuit breakers kicked in into the New York Stock Exchange. Yet those same circuit breakers did not apply to the electronic venues because the tech guys in those electronic <laughs> venues, they didn't want to play by the human rules. we'll get to that in a minute because that's actually another great story in the history of the financial markets during my career but anyway perfect
0: uh, well and that's a perfect place to take a break so uh, we'll take a break we'll continue uh with stories with Kenny Polcari after this so stay tuned Tired of reading about other people getting rich in the stock market? Today is your day. Vantage Point's artificial intelligence has predicted countless market reversals, helping traders weather any storm up to three days in advance. Visit www.freestockcoaching.com and find out how their AI automatically recognizes global market patterns well ahead of the news to help you pick the best trade. Go to www.freestockcoaching.com to join a free live training session today. Don't delay, save your seat now. We are back with Kenny Polcari on investing with IVD, sponsored by Vantage Point. Okay, Kenny. So we're in 2001. Uh, a lot of technology changes have, have been taking place. A lot of security. The, the whole priorities have switched from efficiency to more to security. Let's jump out to 2005, 2006.
1: So it was 2005 and 2006 when, um, When a lot of the changes besides technology changes, but rule set changes and a market structure changes started to take effect and it was really 2005 and six when you saw exchanges around the world start to go public right because the New York Stock Exchange was a private institution. Yeah. Up until 2005, and I say it was private institution. It was owned by the members. The yes. members were the people that owned the seats on the New York Stock Exchange. The seat represented the stock in the firm, but it was all private. If you owned a seat, you owned stock in the New York Stock Exchange, but but it wasn't. You couldn't you couldn't publicly trade it like a stock, like you can today. Uh, but what happened was after not only not only the events of 9-11 and then technology kind of changed the face of the world, it changed the face of the role that markets, that, that exchanges were playing in global markets around the world, you started to see <clears throat> European markets go public. You started to see uh, 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 talk of the US markets going public because then it was going to then change not only, um, not only the way the markets operated, but then it gave Americans and investors around the world the opportunity and ability to play in the exchange space right mm-hmm. but in order to do that they need the exchanges needed they couldn't be they couldn't be run in a private institution by you know 1300 guys that could never make a that could never make a decision you know they couldn't they needed to be they needed to be a publicly traded corporation so so what ended up happening was in 19, in 2005 John Thane, if you remember, Dick Rasso had, had, had gotten thrown out after uh, you know 2000 and 2002. Uh, John Thane had come in he, from Goldman had come in um, and orchestrated not only the advances in technology that started to take place even faster on the floor with handheld technology for the brokers and delivery systems and all that, but he also then orchestrated the reverse merger of ARCA and the New York Stock Exchange. Now you remember oh, wow. ARCA and maybe, and maybe your, um, maybe your uh, listeners, some may and some may not remember, but ARCA was an early entrant into kind of the electronic trading world, right? As a, right. as a, as a, as an exchange. <clears throat> and it was very difficult. It was clunky. It didn't work efficiently. Uh, people didn't trust it, but yet it was a publicly traded company. It was it traded, it traded on, I think it traded on NASDAQ certainly didn't trade on New York. Um, and so John Thane saw it as an opportunity first of all we we did this reverse merger so now suddenly the new york stock exchange got entree into an electronic platform through arca because it was a completely electronic platform so they got an entree into they got an entree into the electronic space and they also then took the exchange public right And so if you were somebody that owned a seat on the New York Stock Exchange which represented the stock in the in the company yeah. when that event happened in uh, in April, you got a check for 6.8 million dollars of which <laughs> of which350,000 was cash and 6.2 million was in NYSE stock wow. right the symbol wow. was NYX. Mm-hmm. Um, And so it came at $62 a share. It traded up to $120 or $128 uh, before the market crashed in 2007. It traded as low as $15, you know, during the crash. Yeah. Um, And then, uh, and then, got taken out ultimately by ICE, which owns it now. ICE is ICE, it's Intercontinental Exchange. It's a publicly traded company in New York Stock Exchange. They own electronic markets all around the world. They trade every product under the sun. And they came in and they scooped up uh, the New York Stock Exchange um, for now, It's pennies on the dolls because I think ICE trades at about 120 or 130 bucks now, if I look it up. But one way or the other. Um, but when the exchanges went public, suddenly the world changed again because now the exchanges had a different master, right? They had shareholders that they were responsible to They had to yeah. have earnings. They had to, they had to pull the curtain back and expose their financials. And so therefore versus when you're a private company, you, you don't do that. Right. Uh, You say as much as you want and the rest, you keep a secret. And, but when you're a publicly traded company, you have to pull the curtain back and, you know, you've got to expose it. So they had, they had a whole new set of masters, which are called shareholders, like all public companies have. And Mm -hmm. so they have a responsibility in terms of growing the business, in terms of how they're going to use technology, how they got, what's the plan, what's the plan for the future? How are you going to grow? Why should I buy this stock? Why should I play in this space? And so therefore that fueled, the next change or all the changes that were to come at the markets, whether they be the New York stock Exchange or the seaboard or any of that. Now notice right. the, the, it, it didn't happen as fast as it happened in Europe in terms of the, the elimination of the floor, but for all intents and purposes, the floor, the, the floors no longer exist in the way that they did. Right. right. The, the yelling and right. screaming and the 5,000 people running around, blah, 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 that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. It's actually very quiet. If you get out to the floor of the New York Stock Exchange during the day, you hear the hum of the computers. That's what yeah. you hear. People can talk, you know, you and I could talk just like this and with no problem. If you'd come down there in, you know, 1987, I'd be going, hey, Arusha! I'd be screaming at you because you'd have to, right? right? You'd have to because there was so much noise and people screaming and yelling. Today, there's no noise. And it, listen, SIBO doesn't exist anymore. All those, all the floors in America don't really exist. The buildings are there. The yeah. building does represent the New York Stock Exchange the same way the NASDAQ building in Times Square represents NASDAQ, but there's nobody trading there. There's yeah management that's in the building and so today the exchange does have the the, the exchange is still holding on it does have mar- a set of market makers on the floor although that's getting you know that keeps getting whittled down because technology once again makes it more efficient right um the the the, the, the 5,500 people that worked on the floor in 2000 is now down to less than 250 people wow. think about that wow. 5,300 jobs got eliminated because of technology and efficiency right, right. um and so The five trading rooms that made up the total floor of the New York Stock Exchange, it was the main room, the garage, the blue room, the extended blue room, and the new room, those rooms, the the only room that exists now is the original main room, which is the room you see when you see on television every day is that is the original room built in 1903 with the, you know, seven story ceiling and it's all very dramatic and it's the most spectacular room in all of New York, for sure, but it doesn't exist anymore in the way that it did right. And it was a direct result of not only the technology, advances in technology, but when, as the exchanges went public. And then there was this push to become you know, more efficient, more forward thinking. How are we going to, you know, what's our plan for them? How are we going to grow this business? Um, yeah. Payment for order flow, competition with, uh, with, with uh, other venues that were now starting to pop up. Other electronic venues, alternative right. trading venues. That's right. Um, you know, what, what what what's the one that also was quite popular? Well, well yeah. Uh, bat, well, bats no, no, came out. No, the one. Um,
0: or Chicago Mercantile Exchange. No,
1: no, 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 no. Um, oh my god, the one. It's right on. Sit my tongue. Um, I'll think about it in a minute. But anyway, so there was all these threats to the New York Stock Exchange because asset managers were being lured away to trade stock uh in 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 some of the regional exchanges off the off the new york stock exchange all through these electronic platforms and as clunky as it was it started to make sense right and we had already converted from you know i didn't get into the whole conversion process from in 2000 and 2000 right when the when the exchange started to modernize you know in order to modernize and bring in the technology you had to change from fractions to decimals and so we that took six months because you couldn't just change 5,000 stocks between NASDAQ and New York. And just on Monday, they were trading in fractions. On Tuesday, they were trading in decimals because, A, you would go from 16 price points because we had gone from eighths of a dollar to sixteenths of a dollar in late in the late 90s. We stayed at sixteenths of a dollar through the turn of the century. And then we went from sixteenths of a dollar to decimals. And when you went to decimals, now there's 99 price points because there's a penny, two pennies, three pennies, for 99 cents, right? Yep. Before, when I first went there in 1980, it was an eighth a quarter, three, seven, five Five three quarters, seven eighths. Then it was a teeny, two teenies, three teenies, four teenies, five teenies, 16, teenies. All the way up to fifteen teenies. And then it was a penny, two pennies, three pennies, four pennies. All the way up to ninety-nine cents. Right?
0: Yeah.
1: And so the amount of traffic, order flow, noise. Right? Because yeah. people could people could you know put a penny bit in, take a penny bit out, put a penny back in, offer it at three cents, take it out, offer it at four cents, pay two cents. I mean it was. It, and because they could do it with high-speed computers, it wasn't yeah. like someone was sitting there typing on a, on a keyboard. Yeah. They just programmed the computer to do it. And so yeah. the amount of message traffic would have overwhelmed the system. If all of a sudden you just flipped the switch on, on, you know, Tuesday and said, okay, everyone's trading in decimals. And so we started that conversion process and we did it by the alphabet. Right. So it took stocks A through D and they converted them from decimals, oh, from right. fractions of decimals. And so yeah. for six months, what was really interesting, I, it was really cool. I mean, I can look back on it now and, 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 and think about the way it was. But when you think about it, for six months, some stocks were trading in decimals, some stocks were trading in fractions, right? And yep. and 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 you had to think differently because when you walked into a stock trading in fractions, it traded very differently than a decimalized stock. The conversations were different, the volumes were different. And so that went on for six months because every that they, they they'd convert, you know, four names at four for a b c d they convert all those stocks uh, on the same day they'd let it run for two or three weeks make sure the system then they do e through e, e f g and h and then yep. they do i j k l right and yep. then uh and so by the time we did it it took like six months but when november of 2000 came we were fully automated fully decimalized and that's when all of a sudden they shoved the uh the handheld they really pushed the handhelds they said the brokers now you got to start to you got to really start to use the handheld technology now because we're in this and that was the first wave of guys to retire and the guys that were retiring in 2000 when they when they pushed the hand on you were guys who were my age then I, i'm 60 now so the guys that were 60 in 2000 that was only 40 change. yeah i was only 40 then so i was kind of still in the middle of it right i was fine but the guys that were 60 that had been trading pen to paper face to face for 30 years they go i'm not gonna i'm not using this thing and so there was this natural attrition yeah then as the technology got better and better then there was this forced attrition right where where all of a sudden i got this computer that could do your job and i'd come in and say listen i don't need you anymore right Right. versus you saying i don't want to do this anymore right yes and so then uh so that takes us up until uh when when uh when fame took the place public um and then the push the push got even More severe with technology because it had to, right? Because there were there were demands on the management to show growth. How are you going to improve this? How are you going to improve this company now, right? Right. Right. And it wasn't and it wasn't you know the 1,300 members coming up to take a vote. Bullshit. There were no more members after that. Even though today they still call it a seat. Like you say, you talk to a designator, He goes, "Yeah, I have a seat in the exchange." It, It. it's a license, really. It's not no longer a seat. Seats are gone, right? It's called a license now. But one way or the other, um, so that took us to that change.
0: So, so, so you had the change. So now we get into two thousand and seven. Uh, Obviously, the housing crisis starts uh, to unveil itself.
1: Well, listen, the housing tri- crisis started to unvi- un- unveil itself, but it was after all those other new acronym type investment vehicles started to fail, CDs's. Yes. C, uh, CMOs,
0: CDOs, and all CDOs, that C D O S, right? All
1: these three-letter acronym, yeah. uh, 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 very sexy and fancy yeah. uh, investment vehicles, which, yeah. by the way, were unregulated, and you can thank Alan Greenspan for that. So, if you want my opinion, you can trace the beginning of the financial crisis right to Alan Greenspan, because when all those products—C D O S and C D S S and C M O S and A B C S and A B S S and all that <laughs> shit—when when they all came, when they were all designed. Yeah, they were all designed by Wall Street, by the way, at the encouragement of D.C., because they all helped to fuel the housing market. Right. Right. And they were shifting risk and they were helping sell mortgages and blah, 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 blah and all that stuff. And so and so when they brought it to the Federal Reserve, Alan Greenspan said, no, there's no need to regulate these. They're not stocks. They, you know, they're invisible, but we don't need to regulate them. They're self-regulated. Right. Yep. so they were never regulated and so they spun out of control and then when the economy started to kind of stumble a little bit those products started to fail and uh when those products started to fail that they started to fail because when the economy started to stumble and people started to lose their jobs and they couldn't pay their mortgages that's when those that's when all those products started to fail right right and don't 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 forget it was you know 1984 85 86 when the housing market in this country was just on fire, and they were giving mortgages to people who had no no income, no verification. Do you remember those loans? You could just walk into the bank loans. Yeah, yeah. I want to I want to buy this house and it's five hundred thousand dollars. But don't ask me if I have a job, but I want the money to buy the house. Right. And so they were just handing out the money. Yeah, and you know, if and if you don't believe me, you should watch that movie, the uh, The Big Short.
0: I, I've watched it, okay. yeah. It's a
1: it's actually they do a very good job of explaining how it all unravels. I enjoyed that right movie, yeah. And so your listeners, they should you 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 should if you haven't seen it, it's a great movie and it's easy to understand. They actually they actually they actually discuss it in a way that makes it easy for f- for the for, for Joe Q public to understand it. Yeah. You don't have to be a you know a Harvard educated Ivy League person to understand it. They make it very easy and it's actually a great movie. I think yes. they did a great job of that. But one way or the other, when when that started happening and those products started to fail And all this exposure, you know, it was insurance companies that were exposed because they bought all these products because they were safe, Yes, right? That's bullshit. And so, uh, and we all know what happened then because then uh, suddenly Bear Stearns Asset Management started to fail. Um, And And Dick Fold, it comes back. And then then Lehman started to fail and that's where it comes out of the closet and Dick Fold comes out and everybody shoots him.
0: That's incredible. I I mean- yeah, because and and Dick folds in the movie The Big Short, yeah. is you know one of those central characters. Yeah, but they never really touch upon that part, but Hank Paulson's in it. Dick yeah. holds in it, yeah, and that 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 really brings it full circle. Uh, well, you is- know,
1: remember because Bear Stearns was the first one to go belly yes. up, and if you yep. remember that, and here's yep. the other thing is that people that worked at Bear Stearns, like Enron, Enron was another example. Yes, but, you know, but people that worked at Enron because Enron was this hot, hot stock in in uh, in two thousand and one uh, around then. yeah, the late nineties into two thousand, and yep. so people that worked there, they get stock as part of their bonus, they get stock as part of their compensation, they buy stock out of their paycheck at a discount just right. enron, enron 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 and then when right. enron blew up those people got wiped out done yep wiped out and yep. so the same thing happened with bear stearns there were people that were so loyal to bear stearns they just had bear stearns so that when they had the opportunity to diversify when their options got vested and we owned so much this and yeah. why they why these people didn't diversify but they didn't and so a bunch of other people got wiped out same thing happened in Lehman Brothers yeah because right the same thing happened but yeah. when when Bear Stearns got taken out I'll never forget it you know they when they when they made that first announcement I think they got taken out at like the very first Remember? do you remember the very first JP Morgan announcement I think they took Bear Stearns out at like four dollars it was some point was, like was the headline yeah. yeah it was you know it was down from 130 and, and and I think they bit, you know, they, they talked JP Morgan into buying it, all kinds of backstops and the government was going to insure them and all that stuff. And I think it was like a, it might've even been a $2 bid.
0: Yeah. I want to say it's and, like, yeah, between two or and, four. Yeah. And, and the, that was what, that was like around March of March, 2008. Mar- yeah. March.
1: And the place went, cr- remember the place went crazy. You can't do that. And so they upped the bid. I think they ended up taking it off at $12 a share, 10 to whatever it was. But um, but that that kind of then set the tone for what was then the beginning of the global financial crisis, right? Yes. Because yep. then um, <clears throat> after that event happened, the economy got worse. People, more people got laid off. People couldn't pay their mortgages. How people just left the houses, gave the keys back to the bank. Some even with that just left on the fucking front door and walked away. Yeah. And. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, there, there was this building boom going on in the country that suddenly came to a standstill and all the financing, and all that stuff that, you know, went into this building boom all just came to a standstill. And then the, yeah. and the, and the, and the markets collapsed. Right. And then what ended up happening was people that were trying to sell the CDSs and the ABSs and the CMOs and the, all the shit that they should have sold. Who was going to buy them? There were no bids. And so you couldn't sell them. And so what happened? What happened was asset managers and life insurance companies and people that owned the shit that they couldn't sell, Yeah, they panicked. And so what did they sell? They sold what they could. So they hit the sell button on stocks because the New York Stock Exchange is up there every day. You can see prices every single day. They just flash across the tape. You want to sell GE? You hit a little button. You want to sell 100,000 shares in GE? You can sell 100,000 shares in five seconds in GE. Bingo, sell, sell, sell. Boom, it's all gone. And your cash is in the bank tomorrow. And so what ended up happening, it happened around the world because this whole U.S. Finan- housing crisis, again, it was this web, uh, a lot of it by Lehman Brothers, by the way, which was also part of the problem, right? Lehman Brothers was so connected. I mean, they all were, but Lehman Brothers more so was so connected around the world to asset managers that um, as Lehman, as it started to fail, it was this ripple effect around the world um and that's why dick fault thought that he was going to get rescued because he had such his web was so thick that he thought they're never going to let me fail they they can't they're never going to let me fail and uh and they let him fail
0: yeah and yeah i I mean it was and 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 probably in many ways that they let him fail because he didn't come
1: well and, and, and and listen and there is without them ever there was that innuendo There was that innuendo and people would refer to it, but no one was going to come out and say that was the reason. Right. But there was even Hank Paulson, there was those innuendos saying when, when we needed you, you said no. Yeah. And now there's no reason to save you. And you remember how ugly that got. I mean, and, and then that just when that happened in September of 2008, Mm -hmm. that just, you know, sent the markets into a tailspin. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I'll never forget, you know, every day, you'd, every day you'd go to work and, um,
0: I mean, how much of the dowels up seven hundred one one day down?
1: Yeah. And, and next, and these right? Wild swings. And at this point I had, I was off the exchange because I was running the desk at ICAP, which was a big British interdealer broker, um, and, uh, I left the floor to, to move upstairs, to run it from the office. Cause I had an upstairs trading desk and traded NASDAQ names. And I couldn't, I couldn't manage that from the floor. So I had to leave the floor. So I left the floor in 2006. So I was actually upstairs yeah. uh, on the trading desk when 2007, eight, and nine happened. I went back to the floor in December of 2009. Um, because the whole, the whole, the whole business, uh, the whole the, the the Nasdaq desk and I kept got blown up. The business really got blown up, um, and so we shut it all down. And I went back to the floor to yep. salvage what I could try to salvage, right? Yeah. Um. And then did that. Uh. You know, stayed there and I was there until twenty, uh, until October of twenty twelve. Well, um, Kenny, really we'll, we'll,
0: we'll have to. Once again, we've gotten all the way up to 2008, (laughs) 2009. I think we made some really good progress, but we'll obviously have to have you come back again and continue this story and as mentioned before we'll, we'll do another episode where we can focus on your 911 story also. We um, should do
1: a 911 story probably in mid or late August or you know, I think
0: that I think we should I'm not yeah. sure
1: what 911 what day 911 is this year. I don't know right and'll well, we'll, we'll
0: figure it out so so we can because that it's such a great story that everyone really should uh, hear uh, Kenny's story on that. but Kenny, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Hey, Arusha It's my pleasure. You know me. I love to talk. So I think this is great. I'm happy to come back and do it anytime you want.
0: So next week, we are actually taking it off. So I want to wish Kenny, I want to wish everyone out there a Merry Christmas, a happy holidays, and of course, a Happy New Year to all. And also, it's great to say so long to 2020. So that's (laughs) it for this week on Investing with IVD. I'm Arusha Pierce, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Milton charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode.